0: This is just me and you. Now, you know, now everything aside, the mics and the all this shit, you know, it's just us three sitting here talking. I feel good about it. And anybody who's struggling, there's an opportunity. Reach out and grab that fucking thing. Hold on to it.
1: Don't let go. <laughs> From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you, and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to OurCollectiveJourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: Hey, good evening, and welcome to Our Collective Journey from Darkness to Life. Uh, I'm Rick. I got Damien and his brother Nathan in the studio today. Uh, sitting here in the Plugged In Media Network Podcast Studio Extraordinaire. We even got some mood lighting tonight, so it's extra extra special. How are you guys
3: doing? Uh, I'm a little nervous, to be honest. Uh, done a bunch of these already, you know. kind of been pretty outwardly focused and supporting other people in our community and you know at large and to be here with my brother tonight um is extra special but uh, for me it's a a little bit nerve-wracking at all at the same time
0: how are you doing Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no i'm uh i'm excited i'm fearful of uh where this is gonna go but i know I know now is the time for me to step out of my fear and uh, do some growing right now. So, a lot of a lot of fear, a lot of a lot of nerves, but I'm excited. I'm I'm grateful for you guys to to invite me here and uh, be a part of this.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty special to have you too. I know the, the power of one Davis. I can imagine what it happens when you multiply it. Just bonkers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, you should have seen us back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Running a million miles an hour in the wrong direction yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking my poor mom.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so I guess a little bit of background here. We kind of, the three of us came. Well, actually, I think I've known Nathan longer than I've known you even, Damo. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I guess we all kind of came together here over over the weekend. We had another tragedy and another gentleman take his life and uh and uh Damien and I kind of responded and reached out to you and see if you wanted to get on board and and get involved and support in your community and I guess this one was a little closer than just random community I you you knew these guys you hung with them and uh and I think that helped break the ice for us when we were in there trying to chat with them and, and get their ear and have a conversation so yeah, what led to that? I guess.
3: Yeah, you know, I I didn't grow up in Medicine Hat, and you know, Nathan came down here to play hockey at what fourteen, fifteen. Yep. Um, so it's Nathan's like the mayor. It seems <laughs> like where everywhere I go with him, he knows people. He's a very you know personable person. Um, has a lot of contacts in the community, and I think you know I married in into the friend circle that Nathan had in Medicine Hat. Um, when he was playing hockey here in uh, Bantam and Midget, and this, these tragedies are are hitting close to home, I think for for my wife and and in turn for myself. And you know, I know Rick, you grew up with these guys, and um, Nathan has like a, a really personal connection as well. And having him come yesterday. To you know, to, to see people you know that he hadn't probably seen in a long time, and they just pick up right where they left off, right? Um, so yeah, to see a, a pretty special bond, but then also to see my brother kind of have the the courage to come out of his shell, I guess a little bit, and and start a conversation with some people that are hurting, right? And then in turn, how that conversation turned into a, a different conversation in the truck on the way home, which let us hear, you know a little over 24 hours later to, uh, yeah, really do some some serious talking.
0: So I guess, for me, this has been a been a long time coming thinking about thinking about my depression, my anxiety, and um, being a recovered you know alcoholic addict, right? Um, how, do I, how do I move forward? How do I grow? And I've seemed to, I seem to fall, fall back into my depression and, and anxiety at certain times in my life. Um, especially through this pandemic, it's been tough to, you know, I, I invest a lot of time in my family, in my community for sports and those plug all my holes in my sinking chip to to move forward every day, to come up for a breath of air, you know, that's, that's how I filled it right now through this pandemic. I, you know, feels, feels like I'm, I'm struggling, you know, a little broken, not happy with who I see in the mirror every day. Right. And you know, it's uh, my wife sees it. My mom sees it. Damien sees it. They all see it. Right. It's, it's been a long time coming to, to actually take control, do something, right? And when I got the call Sunday morning, you know, I was actually on the on the other line with Channing, our middle brother. Um, me and Channing were just shooting the breeze, and Damien called, so I merged the phone calls and, you know, got the news again, right? And I didn't even hesitate. It was like, yeah, I'm in, right? And what what came of that was pretty special for for me you know it was it was difficult to be there it was sad a bit angry I felt a bit selfish for not doing this earlier but it was really the the what happened in the truck on the way home right just the how you broke it down Rick you know maybe maybe this was for me. This is my time to step out to grow for you guys to be there for me, right? It's all about timing, really. For me, anyways, it's about timing, right? A week, week previous, I'd uh, I'm a type one diabetic cancer survivor, <sighs> so. There's certain times that have signaled to me in my life. It's time. It's time for mega action. It's time. It's time to take a big step in the other direction. And and uh, last Monday was was one for me. I've been a diabetic for 15 years now, 16 years. And uh, every day, you know, you have your good days, your bad days, right? You you, you fight it. It's uh, it's what you do. It's a livable disease. I manage it as well as possible. My A1Cs are, you know, good. They could be better. You know what I mean? There's, but I, I, I was told I'm, you know, have some uh, diabetic macular uh, edema in my left eye, which is slight vision loss um, starting. So that was. That was a a big aha time to, time to get living again. You know, my sight, my father is uh, clinically blind. So I've seen, I've seen the trials and tribulations that he goes through. And, you know, being in an infancy stage, I know I got to get living and see a lot more life. And then, yeah, I got the call Sunday. And I didn't hesitate. It was time. It's time to get out there. It's time to be fearless. But still, it's okay to be fearful of what I feel, right? It's okay to, be, you know, to tell people in the community that, yeah, I do struggle with depression, anxiety. it's okay it's okay man it just it's just okay
3: it's yeah you say you know my brothers know my parents know and you know you this summer when we were hanging out at the park and it's you know you kind of opened up a bit and I'm not one to push and I guess maybe that's a character defect and you know I, I have a lot of guilt around the relationships that I have with you know my brother's Um, because there's been a lot of, you know, turmoil and, you know, I guess just how brothers are and sometimes we think that it's implied that, uh, they're They always know that we love them, But, but I fell into that trap where I didn't let you know how much I cared and I didn't put in the effort to maybe ask the harder questions or, you know, open that door and maybe that was purposeful and maybe it wasn't. But I always, I've told you this lots, Nathan, that, uh, you've been my role model. You and Channing both have been my role models, the men that I look up to for a long, long time. And, um, I'm grateful that you chose to, to come here tonight. I'm grateful that you are choosing to see things a little bit differently, um, because you're a powerful man that has a powerful story and the world needs to hear it. Right. And I don't know where this conversation is going to go tonight, but you know, I, I kind of feel like I failed you. I feel like, uh, I was the one that, uh, introduced drugs into your life down in Mexico and then the road that that led you on. I've got a lot of guilt around that. Um, and you guys were there for me when I was in active addiction and, And seen me greater than I saw myself and and supported me. So I guess it's my turn to to repay the favor a little bit and help you uh, get to where you need to go.
0: That's as close as me, you, and Channing are. We do have deep conversations about a lot of stuff, but they're not deep enough. We, we scratch, speaking men, we we scratch the surface. How are you doing, Rick? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good, man, right? That's, you know, <laughs> no, no, that's that's for real, right? And that's, you know, Damien, you know, goes away for a couple months, comes home, right? And he calls me, uh, I'm on my week off, right? He's like, hey, you want to come out? I'm like, no, I got something else to do, right? You know, I I, I push it off, right? Or, you know, how are you doing today, man? Or, you know, oh, I'm good, right? It, it's... For whatever reason, I just, I'm not, I don't feel capable of talking about my emotions. S- sitting here, be, being in the truck, driving here, Rick, what's the first thing that I did? <laughs> Pretty much a breakdown as soon as you got in the truck. As soon as I got in the truck. Like, it was because I knew coming here, talking about this stuff, I'm, I'm stepping into some pretty deep waters, man, and not something I'm very comfortable with right now.
2: No. But it's okay. It is. You gotta get a little uncomfortable to grow. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Change is constant. Yeah. Growth is optional, right? And I think the three of us and you know the struggles that we've had and then the resiliency that we had to overcome that know that better than anyone else, right? Um but I got to keep my feet moving. You know, I got to keep taking action to feel the way I deserve to feel, which is I deserve to be full of serenity and grace and happiness. And I deserve to thrive. And it's, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about like the, with my brothers, We've had violent conflict amongst the three of us, um, followed by, you know, amazing love and connection. But that undercurrent of, you know, scratching the surface might cause, you know, violent eruption of, of anger. You know, we, I I think I can speak for Nathan and I, Is I don't even have anger. I have rage, you know, and, and that rage is something that I want gone so badly. You know, I don't want to be a violent person anymore. I don't want to be an angry man, but for some reason, you know, that is still in me. Um, and it always seems to transpire towards the ones I love the most, right? And, you know, my wife catches the brunt of my rage in a, for those fleeting moments. And then the rage turns on myself because I'm angry that I'm angry still. I've done all this work and I've worked so hard. Why is this still here? And that's when the darkness really creeps into my mind is like, when something as simple as, you know, yeah, my, my four-year-old kid just not listening to m- my direction can can set that rage into motion quickly. And then I'm mad that I'm mad at a four-year-old. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me, right? Um, but at least I have an awareness today. And that awareness is something that I now have a choice in how I'm going to deal with this and, and what does a man do? You know, I'm not defined by my past. I'm defined by what I do in the moment and what I'm going to do in the future, right? And... Um, yeah, hopefully all of the things that I've been through and, and what I'm doing right now showed Nathan the way and hopefully allowed him to, to be here today. And, you know, I have, I have two of my role models sitting at this table talking with us right now, you know, um, I don't have many friends anymore. You know, I have, I have Rick, I have a few friends that I grew up with in Brooks that I stay in close contact with. Um, and then my brother's. And that's it. And that's okay. You know, um, I've built a support system. Maybe didn't even do it intentionally of people that are building me up. That don't judge me for still getting angry. You know, they've lived it. They understand it. And I get, I get what you're going through, Nathan. Um, I wish I would have been there for you sooner, but I guess that's not our experience. This is, this is where we're at today. And this is how we move forward, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And that's, you spoke about awareness, right, and being mindful of where you're at, right, and that's I owe that all to getting clean and sober sixteen years ago. If I wasn't aware and in tune with with where I was at on on my bad days with depression, I I, I feel it, I see it, but I do. No, I hold the keys to the, my own prison at that moment and I get a choice, right, to reach out or go to sleep on the couch. Or, or you know what I mean? There's I'm aware of that and that's because I'm clean and sober.
2: I I think I talked about that a little bit today in a previous conversation about, you know, you you go to anger, right? Like you get mad. You get mad and then you're mad cuz you're mad. a lot of times I feel like even today, you know, I talked about feeling like a hypocrite or like, this is all bullshit. Right. Cause I still, I still revert back to those old character, you know, no, no matter how much work I do on myself and, you know, I'm trying to do this thing with OCJ and be a better piece of the community and build people up. And, and I can still go home and be an asshole to my kids. And then, I don't go to angry. I go to like beating the shit out of myself, right? That's my... That's where I go, right? I'll catch myself getting mad at my kids and then it's immediately beat the shit out of myself about it. Like you're fucking phony, you're fake, everything you're doing is bullshit and you still are just that piece of shit you were all those years ago despite all the work. and, And like what I hear... I think what I hear from all of us is like, we're still trying to develop those coping mechanisms, right? We've for so many years, it was drugs and booze that filled them. And like, you know, I'd like to get into your sobriety a bit in a, in a minute here. Cause like to get sober at 21, that's just batshit crazy, man. I don't know. (laughs) Got a lot of good partying out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm
2: going, you must, you must've been quite a wild ride (laughs) to pull the pin at 21, but. I mean, I think that's what I'm still, I think that's what I'm still searching for, right? Is, is that coping mechanism? Because that fucking voice in the back of my head gets, it's quiet most of the time, right? But it can get loud real quick and uh, it it can take me to a dark place really quick. But that also speaks to the awareness, right? I can recognize that voice for what it is now. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't. I can call it out a little quicker and I don't quite get as far down that rabbit hole and I can get back out of it quicker, Absolutely, but it's still there. Yep. You know, maybe that's something that'll never go away. I don't know. I don't really get to, I don't know that that's mine to control, um, but I get to figure out how to live within it and where that solution lies. Well, and I think that that... <laughs>
3: that voice to me is kind of a gentle reminder of my past. And it, it also lets me be very relatable to people that are also experiencing the same things. Right. So, you know, I don't get to choose my character defects. They're there. Um, and it's part of my story. It's part of my experience, which allows me to relate to somebody else that might be going through that. But the crazy part about how, what I'm feeling right now is that I was, I'm so outwardly focused to help, Other people, you know, friends, strangers, anybody that's suffering. And sometimes you don't see the forest through the trees when it comes to the people that have always been there for you. And the the guilt with that, like, I I do have guilt about, it's hard to see your brother struggle, you know? Um, It's hard to know, but still, you know, not be not reach out because you don't know where that's going to go. Right. Um, which is I guess part of our healing that needs to happen where we don't scratch the surface anymore, where it's actually, you know, real deep things um, in a healthy manner, you know, um, because it's needed um, for us to grow. Um, It's needed for our kids to, to see that example of, of their fathers being resilient and not just, sitting on the sidelines you know they're actually taking action to get healthier um which is encouraging right but there still is that guilt piece that i have because this is you know i was nathan's role model i was the one that he looked up to i was the one that you know he wrote stories about in in school and then to fall off and and to let him down and to lead him down a path which you know almost took his life it's pretty heavy you know um, but,
0: but that was that was normal, Damien. What we were doing at that point in time in our life. That was normal. We didn't know that that the way we were partying and the things we were doing, that we'd go other places and people are like, What are you guys doing? <laughs> right? Like, where are you from? But but to us, that's that was normal, right? And until You know, certain things happened in my life before I I figured out, you know, this is I was gonna die because of my addictions. Then I I started to realize, man, this what this here, what is happening? Like this is not this is not normal. You know, the way we partied, we fought, you know, wrecked many things along the way, right? It's just it was I realized how sick we were, or I was anyways, as I started to become healthier and recovered, right? So it's... Uh,
2: I guess you don't know what you don't know. Right?
0: You don't know. And at that time, none of us knew, right? That was just, that's what we did, man. It was...
2: Yeah, and I know we've talked about this a whole bunch, too, if uh, surround yourself with similar people. So it, it is normal, right? It, it's... Normality is based on perception. If you surround yourself with the exact same thing, it's it's what's common. It's what's normal, right? So I know we've we've had the opportunity, you know, through different speaking with different people, as as OCJ and you know even like grant applications and and funding requests and and just conversations we've had. You know, we get asked a lot, like, "What is your guys's end game with OCJ?" And it's a moving target for sure. I think it changes every day, right? But I think one of the things that I recognize is, is trying to change what normal looks like, right? For, at least for the guys sitting around this table, what was normal to us was batshit crazy to most of the population. Right. So I guess trying to make talking about it normal, right? Like that's an underlying consistent thing that I think we found is, Just the lack of dialogue, the lack of legitimate, no bullshit, real, honest dialogue, because we're all so busy trying to hold up this self bullshit self image of ourselves and, and not let anybody in. And yeah, I'm fine. You know, regardless of where I'm at mentally, I'm fine. But maybe that's what we're trying to do here is change normal. Yeah, I,
3: I completely agree. Like it, it is. There's, there's so many people that I grew up with that are still doing the same things that we did when we were in junior high and high school and and college and you know haven't moved on. And I can see that in other social circles in Medicine Hat. I can see that now that I'm you know a little bit removed and and I'm not insane anymore. I can see that that behavior that those things that we were doing just weren't right. You know, I think at a certain point, all of my values, all of my morals, everything that my parents instilled in me, I pushed away. And the more I got into my addiction, the more I got into, you know, drinking, the more guilt I had about, you know, my relationships with my brothers and my, my father and my mother and all of that, you know, I couldn't get back to that person that I, that I was right. Um, but I had my brothers. Like I, I'm very fortunate that I have the relationship with my nephews and my niece that is second to none. Right. In spite of me being an alcoholic and an addict, I still have my brothers in my life who, you know, still talk to me and and supported me, even though I was a fucking dirtbag for a long time and not a good human being to them or my family. Um, And yeah, I guess I'm still working Towards letting go of that guilt. You know, Um, my dad said to me one time, you know, um, you got to forgive yourself. That's a fucking hard thing to do.
2: That was a topic of discussion on the (laughs) drive here, man.
3: It's it's forgive yourself. And yes, I want to. I'd love to. But when it's just words and it's in my brain, how do you do that? Right. And the only way I can really see how that happened for me was when I became outwardly focused. When I stopped letting that shame and blame and guilt about all the shit that had happened in my life or things that had happened to me define who I was. And when I became comfortable in just being Damien and then was outwardly focused in helping people and talking about my story and not caring if, if people were going to judge me for that, that's when the forgiveness came. You know, I didn't give it to myself. Something did. Um, but I have to keep my feet moving. You know, Nathan, I think he said it. it's the action piece. I have to keep moving forward. Um, people are watching, people are following. I'm very grateful that you've been watching me and then that you've decided and made the choice to take action. Right. Um, because you have, you are my hero, you know, um, what you went through and where you're at now, um, speaks volumes to who you are as a human being. And, Uh, not very often you get to sit with your heroes.
2: Just going to circle back a little bit to, uh, you know, the events of the weekend and what, what led us down this rabbit hole that led us to here today. Talking about normal, right? And how we surround ourselves with like-minded individuals that, you know, and that's, that's one of the big things that hit me sitting in that house Sunday morning was everybody's looking around to like, why does this keep happening? And then they deal with it the exact same way they did dealt with the last one and the one before that and the one before that. And like, I love those guys in that room, man. Like I genuinely do. They will hold a place in my heart. And, uh, it hurts and it's frustrating to see them just do what they think is normal. Right. And, uh, like I just felt like fucking grabbing people going, like, if you want something to be different, something's got to change. And, and, uh. Yeah, I guess that's what got us to change, I guess, is my question, right? What, what brought enough awareness to our situation that, because it's frustrating it is like, you know, we had to have that chat when we left, right, demo. You um, can't make anybody change. And I know damn well, nobody could make me change. Nobody could get me to see that. I needed to get there on my own, you can lead a horse to water, but. So maybe we can talk on that a bit. What what brought us to our change?
0: Uh, <clears throat> what brought me to my change? That's where to start. Uh I think I realized at sixteen, I was up here playing hockey. Living at my uncle's house. And he he, he brought brought it up that. You know, hey, if, if you think you got a problem with alcohol, you know, I got a guy at work that you can talk to, right? At 16, I was as wild as they come and really, really didn't think about it much, right? I just, that was my normal. This is what we did. But uh, it was 20 years old. No, 20, yeah, 20 years old. I got uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And it was, it still hadn't really sunk in that, you know, I was an alcoholic or, you know, we were doing, we were doing some hard drugs back then, starting to anyways. And that's when I did the big swap. Quit drinking, well, I drank for a bit after, but it was, I found it, uh, it was really hard on me, hard on the diabetes. So, yeah, did the hard swap to cocaine that was i'll just do it i'll just do a little bit when we go out on wednesday and then a little bit on friday saturday sunday and it became a seven day a week habit rate right? so it uh it really i spun out of control real hard for for about a year you know i was just surviving just the bottom of the barrel trying to Trying to just figure it out, right? Figure out where I go, what I do, right? And the pain and the guilt piled up, you know. So you go back, you go back to the well, and it was th- this is this is my big change, and I'll I'll never I'll never forget it. I had a lot of talks. I was still living at home, and uh, had a lot of talks with mom about my drug addiction where I was at, and I could see the pain. <clears throat> I could see the pain it caused, caused mom, and the the rest of the family too, right? But mom, she, she holds a special place, special place in our hearts, right? And I called her, I was at the rig, and getting ready to get off shift, and I. this was the time when I was thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta do something different. Something's gotta change. We gotta, Nathan, you got to do something different, man. This isn't working. You're, you're, you're going to die. I was dying every day. And uh, I called my mom. I said, Mom, I don't know what to do. She said, just come home. Oh. And my mom, mom said, Nathan, you're killing yourself. She said, and you're killing me, too. And that was it. That was, that was the moment. I know it was time, man. It, it wasn't easy. Did I struggle? Twenty one, you know, changing my life, dropping everything, my friends, my my entire life. I dropped it just to be alive. It, uh, you know, it uh, was it was pretty 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 scary times. I did the program. I. Hit the ground running with the 12 step program in Calgary. Did that for about two years and every day, you know, two, three meetings a day. If I had the day off, it was, I committed my life to sobriety. <laughs> There's nothing I wouldn't do again today. to get sobriety and hold it as tight as I am right now. It is the most precious thing in my life. I got two beautiful kids, beautiful wife, great brothers. But if I didn't have sobriety, I don't have any of this. (laughs) And that was the beginning have a lot of... And now today, do I think about drinking? Never. Do I think about cocaine? Never. Never crosses my mind. Today, so just run it back a bit. When we moved here in 07, I had two years clean, sober. And it was... The program in Calgary, it was messy at best right it was uh it was like a restart when i got here and also i i quit the program started having kids you know just living life you know enjoying life sober and loving my wife my kids my family but i had only scratched the surface on on true true happiness right and Yeah, maybe it's been ten years too long before I've, you know, done this and stepped out and learned about emotions. But it's never too late, right? It's never too late to to get your get some skin in the game. But this is today. This is my biggest fear, and that's I, I live two lives. I look at Nathan and his addiction, and my anger. And then from then on, is Nathan is sober. And this is, this is today this is who I want people to see. And when I moved to Medicine Hat, it felt like I could put all that behind me. People didn't have to know, I didn't want them to know, because I, I, that person... I don't really I I don't really like that person. He was he wasn't a good person. And today I am. Today I'm a good person and I know that. So this sitting right here this is this is what I fear the most. Is having to talk about who I was because I'm ashamed of that person. But that's who made me who I am.
2: And that's okay. I can <clears throat> completely, I get that more than probably a lot of people do. I was a year and a half sober. Well, I was like six months sober and we got the opportunity. I got an opportunity to move to Edmonton for an amazing job and an amazing opportunity. And and uh, I looked at it like a refreshed restart right i had six months of really aggressive solid program 12 step i was in a really really good headspace probably the best of my life like and i think that's something that's a lot of people don't get is this there's a solution in 12 step that's very very quick it's it's not something you need to suffer with if it's done the way it was taught originally but um when i moved when I moved up to spruce grove, i uh I didn't want to bring any of that guy that I was, none of it, right? And it was you know grow being a medicine hat, it was like even if I could come to terms with some of the things that I did in my active addiction, I got three young boys that are gonna have to grow up in the shadow of that guy, right? And I just had visions of like them going to job interviews or going to meet their girlfriend's parents and oh you're you're his kid and like that felt like something that i i didn't know that i could ever get ahead of right like it didn't feel like i could ever do enough good to out to counter that and everybody would just always remember the guy i was and then and keep in mind, like I'm six months sober, right? So there wasn't like an amazing track record of good behavior yet, right? Um, but when this opportunity came, I'm like, "Fuck it, pull the pin, let's get out of here, right? Like fresh start for everybody. The kids won't have to live in that shadow." And uh, and I moved up there, and no program, nothing. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a meeting. I don't want to get engaged in that community. I'm just gonna. I'm just going to coast. And that lasted a year and a half until I hit my first big struggle. Emotional, heavy struggle, right? The first thing that I had to deal with. And no program or nothing, and it led me to, to suicide. Like, I'm, I remember phoning you on a rig in the middle of wherever the fuck you were. <laughs> and uh, I was done, right? I know how comfortable not confronting it can be. But I also know that on the other side of that confrontation is where true freedom is. And that's when, you know, we talk about, we talk about the, how to forgive yourself, right? And we, like, literally, we had that conversation on the drive here. How many people told me that, the key to my mental health was finding the key, the capacity to forgive myself. And not one of the professionals, not one of the spiritual leaders. Like, I mean, I, I was desperate for that answer, right? I talked to everybody that could possibly consult on that and they, they all just kept coming back, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. Nobody could tell me how. And it wasn't until I got re-engaged in 12-step and really started putting my story out there and and uh, seeing the strength that my experience could provide somebody else. Like, it wasn't even about me, right? It was, um, you know, no different than you, than you Damon. Like, you, you telling your story saved my life. And I remember at the time you kind of explaining to me that's how this thing works right and uh and i hope you you're going to get the chance to see nathan how your story saves somebody's life and i mean you don't need to be okay with the shit that you did cuz i god knows i won't ever be What I get that I needed to get through that to get to where I am today. And I think that's something that I get it because I get it. And I think that's where the strength of this, what we're trying to do comes. And, you know, just sitting here thinking about that, like,
3: I guess I never thought about it in this manner because I had such a resentment towards 12 step and doing anything to get sober. Um, the way I was told that I needed to, because I'm fuck man. I I was a success by all measures, right? Um, money, career, traveling, you know, hard lived like a rock star. Um, had some examples of sobriety in my life was told that this is what I was. And I was like, so resentful towards certain people in my life that I was going to do everything in my power not to do what they told me I needed to do. Cause it was like a fuck you towards them. Right. And, uh, all ego, all selfish, you know, uh, what was best for Damien was, you know, fuck. I still partied and used drugs in front of people that had almost died And we're now sober and still loved me enough to, you know, keep me safe. Right. Like, like fucking selfish. Um, and I was, I, I, there was a certain period of my life. I wanted to be sober a long, long, long time ago. You know, I always knew I had a problem. Like Nathan said, like what we, how we drank and drugged. I always knew it wasn't normal, but it was our normal. And I wore it with a badge of honor because I had this higher constitution. I could still have all these things. I still had a career. I still had a job, right? And nobody's seen, you know, what happened after the bar. Nobody's seen me sitting in a hotel room or in a bedroom, you know, continuing on for days at a time. And, you know, I used to justify, you know, uh, I'm better than. As as long as I'm not like that guy, (laughs) if I get there, then I'm fucked. And then i'd get there and then i'd find somebody else that was a little bit lower right so it just kept degrading and that that th- those morals and the integrity and you know me was just slowly eroding away in this hole inside of my soul and you know you're you're at your brother's house who's taking you in, you're living there and you know you're still out there partying and you fuck you know the shame and the blame and the guilt that comes with that where you're letting down people that looked up to you um it just weighed on you And the only way I knew how to deal with it was to, to suppress it, you know, to keep using, to keep drinking, you know, keep trying to find women to have sex with me, whatever it took to feel something right. Um, I was a user, a manipulator, but people always, for some reason, seen me bigger than I ever saw myself. And, um, when I was, when I knew I was, when I didn't have control of this anymore, I didn't know what to do but I think the seed had been planted from my brothers and my father, right? To see them sober and, and thriving um, gave me um, an opportunity to change, right? I had to walk into the rooms of 12-step. Of I had to do the actions, but I think in some way being their brother and being their son um, I seen a way out, you know, and I, I went there and then I've realized that, you know, drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. They were my solution and my solution wasn't working anymore. You know, it hadn't worked for a long, long time, right? There was a darkness and a sadness inside of me that, you know, I think a lot of people seen, I was just the last one to really see it. Um, and so, yeah, I truly think that, you know, my brother saved my life, you know, Um, they've always been there for me. They've always loved me. They've always, you know, cared for me even when I couldn't care for myself. Um, and that comes from our mom, you know, she instilled everything that I am today is because of my mom and my dad, you know, and hopefully in some way I can honor that. Because they they always love me in spite of, right? And will always love me in spite of. And it's given me the courage and the drive to plow forward. And I think you say this all the time, Rick, and I don't know if Nathan's ever heard this, but there's a time when our past no longer defines us. And when we're okay with that guy that we used to hate, that's the moment we become recovered. And that's the moment that I just get to be me. Now, if the other people out there want to judge me for the things I did and who I was, that's fine. But I know where I'm going today and it's all because of that guy. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't go through all that shit. You know, I've had, I've had, lots of suicide in our my life i've had lots of friends die i'm just fortunate that that never happened to me right and i remember the i was 41 days sober when i almost took my life for the last time and i was at a personal development sem- seminar and I, I i was dying you know people at the seminar said they could see my heart beating through my back that's how much anxiety and trepidation and just fear i had inside of me I remember leaving that place, and I just was like, I was there for help, and it seemed like everybody there was there to to make a million dollars, <laughs> and I I couldn't fucking believe it, and I it was it was in Calgary, and uh, I had to walk across McLeod Trail to get in my truck, and it's, <laughs> it, it was six years ago. Last Friday, is when it happened. And uh, I remember standing there and there's a bus speeding down McLeod trail and I'm like, just step out in front of it. Step out in front of it. And by the grace of God, I froze and I didn't. Um, and the next day I was able to share that experience with a room full of a 100 and some people and it instantly shifted that personal development seminar from one of people wanting to make a million dollars to six other people in that room also being able to say... I've wanted to harm myself in the last six months. And that was the moment that I realized that all that shit that I had went through, that f- crazy experience the night before, happened for a reason. And that was so other people could have a voice, right? And that was the moment that I knew I was recovered. That was the moment I knew that all my action, my story mattered as long as I told it. And I was there to help other people. and that's where we're at today. You know, getting up every morning with a full intention to be of service to other human beings on this planet. And in turn, what did God give me? I have an amazing relationship with my brothers and my parents. I have three little boys that weren't even, weren't even on my consciousness when I got sober. I was just trying not to die. I have a wife who met me a week after I had that profound experience at that seminar you know all because i told my story the universe has given me everything i ever dreamt of and more that's the power of our shared experience
2: we talked about a little bit on the drive here but it's like permission right us stepping out of our comfort zone, you coming here today, you getting uncomfortable. We don't get to know what effect that's going to have on somebody. We might not ever know. It's the kind of fucked up thing about this thing that we're doing here, right? Is we're never going to know who didn't kill themselves. Who did we don't know who who's going to walk into a 12-step meeting for the first time because of something that they've heard or something that we've helped perpetuate. But stepping out of that comfort zone, like you're doing tonight, it's permission for somebody. You might not ever know who it is, but it's got to start somewhere.
0: I just remember when I first started the program 12 step. And just the shame I felt. Do you guys remember the shame and the guilt and the hurt that you had caused, right? And I I just didn't ever know if that would go away. Right? It was so heavy. And that that's that's one thing that bothered me for a long time, right? And the resentment to my dad, none more hate towards my dad. And I just, I didn't think I'd ever shake that, right? And I became a dad, you know, and it's not easy. You know, you're, you're, you're stepping up into a, a world of the unknown, right? And, but I did it sober. You know, my life was a lot different than what my dad's life looked like, I now know what he went through, through his life, and have an understanding of why he took the beatings out on us, and why he did some of the stuff that he did. Do I excuse him for it? Do I wish he would have got sober earlier? Would my life have looked different? I don't know. Sounds like an excuse to me to See, you know, I, I would have been better. I would have done more. But that guilt's gone, you know. I, I do, you know, it's funny. I went uh, Ice Fishing in Brooks with my middle brother and Channing. My dog took off down to another ice shack, eh? And I went over there and I grabbed my dog. And I am just having to start talking to the guy about what kind of breed he is. And this guy walks up. He's like, are you... Are you who I think you are? I'm like, oh fuck. Channing (laughs) Davis. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why? (laughs) And and he's a big boy, eh? And I was like, fuck. Like, he's like, are are you Nathan Davis? I'm like, yep. He's like, oh, like all good, right? But in my mind, I just reverted back to like, fuck. What? What happened a decade ago that he's still mad about, right? Like, that's just in. And it was okay, right? All that shit that I did back then, I'm sure I'm sure we've done whatever, partied with them. I'm I'm sure of it, right? But just immediately how I reverted back to the but I am like if so just to give your audience a view of you know, you know where I was and I work in the oil field, I've done it since I was sixteen. Um my wife is successful at what she does, you know or I have a good life today I do right like there's if if you could have told me this is what my life was gonna look like 20 years ago, I would have laughed at you right. And there there has been a weight lifted off my chest. Rick there has. Even from when I hopped in your truck to strap on this headsets, and Dame <laughs> opening me in a corner so I can't run, right? Like, no, there has because it's I I push through that barrier of fear. Tonight, when I'm laying in bed thinking about it, I might I might not be so happy about, but it it I'm grateful that I've I've done this for myself right now. And anybody out there who's struggling, there's always those windows of time when you're, like Damien just said, I had a moment where I was going to walk in front of a bus, right? And it didn't happen for whatever reason. It didn't happen that time. If you're thinking right now, You're feeling sad inside. Life ain't going your way. Whatever dark voices you have in your head. Reach out. If somebody doesn't answer, call the next person. Survive. Let's do whatever you have to do. You have to kick open that door when when it comes. It's just... I know. I know it sounds easy. Yeah, I just make a phone call, right? I. I just, just reach out, right to sit. So. I've I've I lost a friend at an early age, to suicide. He. He, uh, first time, he, uh, shot himself in the head with a nail gun. And didn't succeed, uh, that time. And he, he just wasn't a friend. He was, uh, he was a brother at a young age. We, you you couldn't find me and him not attached at the hip in Brooks, Alberta. (laughs) You knew, you knew if Jeff was there, I was there type deal. So, and I always knew in the back of my head that, uh, Jeff, Jeff would take his own life. And he never reached out. I never reached out. I never I never had those tough conversations, right? We were young, you know, it was I don't know when to or kids. Yeah, kids. We yeah, we were kids. Like, you know, 98, 99, we were kids, man. It was and I felt a lot of guilt over that for a long time. That I tried, you know. Should I have tried harder? But I even tell my good friends now, you know, it's when I had to call call one of them on Sunday and give him the bad news that a good friend of ours had, you know, taken his life. I told him, I said, Man, I love you. I said, anything you need. He's going he's going through the shit or too. It's 2020 has been a tough year. Let's not kid ourselves. It's been a tough year for, for everybody with lockdowns and depression and, and suicide, and bankruptcies. Mm-hmm. I just yeah, he's been through the or too this year. And I said, man, I don't care. Whenever call me, I love you. I know, I know we haven't been in touch for a decade, but we just will pick up right where we left off. So. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good to talk about it. I, I feel like honestly, I feel last night I was up till four in the morning tr- trying to go through the scenarios and you know what's this gonna feel like, right? Like that that was the base. What's this gonna feel like, right? And the fear of the unknown, I guess, where that takes us. Woke up today at work all day sitting at my desk, you know, t- doing work, and all of a sudden i just welling up with tears because I'm like, holy shit, I'm about to, I'm about to dig into stuff that I don't want to touch, right, you know, because I consider myself as a, you know, i say tough guy, but a c- certain amount of pride that, That's what a man does, right? He doesn't talk about it. He holds it in, right? He can suck it up, I guess, right? But hopefully, hopefully these conversations, we can change that stigma. What a man looks
3: like. And I think it's honoring all those people that we've had in our life, Nathan, that have have suffered in silence and are gone now that we can carry some kind of a legacy that we made a difference, you know, for ourselves and for our kids, you know, so that they can see their dads in a different light that their dad can be a warrior. Their dad can be powerful, but their dad can also be vulnerable and open and honest that they don't have to be all right all the time. You know, Hunter says to me all the time when I'm upset, why are you sad? Why are you, he just, he feels that from me, right? And I find it an obligation and my responsibility now that I've been gifted this thing called life, that I got to do more and be more, you know, I can't sit on the sidelines and just be apathetic to, to life, right? Things need to change. Conversations need to be had. Um, if not me, who? Right. I'm so, so, so grateful that you're here today. I look forward to hearing what your sons think about this. You know?
0: Dude, that's the crazy part. Right, like we, we set this up yesterday. And I didn't tell my wife till... Till I was walking out the door, like, yeah, I'm going to do a podcast with Rick. She's like, what are, you, what are you guys talking? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't know what's about. Like, and then I go into my manic, like, running around, like, fuck, Rick's coming, like, you know. And she's like, well, no, it's good, like, you know. And I, like, I just want to get out of there, but I didn't want to leave because you were outside, and, you know. And I want to communicate better with my wife, but I don't know how. You, you know, I, I'm being straight up honest here. <gasps> Because what I have to say doesn't feel good, but I love her. What is it, like, how I feel is what I'm expressing. I want, want my sons to look at me and be like, oh, man, I don't think they've ever seen me cry. And is, is that something I want to teach them? Is that men don't cry? Because I feel like crying all the fucking time. <laughs> Seriously, especially these days, man. There's driving down the road by myself and all of a sudden I'm like, whatever thoughts I'm thinking about going to visit grandpa at his grave or you know, something like that. It's like, bro, whoa, whoa. Turn up the music. That's <laughs> not fucking, Let's not feel that right now, right? So it's I want my boys to um uh, accept their feelings, understand them. I want to accept my feelings and understand. I, I have to heal me first to be able to, you know, show them that, Hey, this is okay.
2: Well, I think it's important that you show them the process. <laughs> yeah. Not just the result, but the process. Yeah.
3: And, and that's it. Don't, don't tell me it's okay to have yeah. feelings. Show me, show, show you me. Know, like yeah. show me what it's, what being a man really is. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we didn't grow up that way. Nathan. You know, um, you're definitely my brother. Cause I cried all the, all the <laughs> time and that's okay. You know, I, I don't pass judgment on people for having emotion and I don't care if people pass judgment on me. And it took me a long time to get to that space, right? Because today I'm comfortable just being me. I don't have to be two Damien's, you know, I'm the same amazing person in all situations. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that in a, a way that I, I never believed that for a long time, you know, all that, that shame of all the shit that I had done, those, that fear of, holy fuck, what the, What does this guy want? Or what did I do to this guy? Like Mm -hmm. that, that's scary. And today people are forgiving, you know, people always just wanted to see me well, but how do you help somebody that doesn't even know they're not well? Right. You just keep loving them and you keep showing them through your example of what this looks like and invite them along for the ride. And I think that's where I've been with you for a long time is, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, the healing will happen when people are ready, right? And I think yesterday was just that catalyst that sparked that in you that was like, yeah, fuck, enough is enough. And that's...
0: That's where I go back to Sunday. All those guys who have passed the last, what's six months, a year, whatever it's been. When, when's, when's the time for change? Like, I love all those guys. I, I, I know all those guys. They were all good people. What, what does it take for those ones on Sunday sitting there to look in the mirror and say, hey, it's time for change? And I, I don't know.
3: I think this is part of it, Nathan. I think you opening up and having the courage to talk about where you're at and what you're going through gives other people permission And I also think we changed the narrative of, you know, based upon results, same outcome, same outcome. For me, it's the, I'd rather step on your toes than step on your grave. True. I'm going to tell you the fucking truth no matter what, because I love you that much. Right. Instead of allowing the same cycle to continue and, It's easier said than done. Um, Maybe it's easier done behind a microphone. But if something doesn't change and the addictions piece keeps on going for a lot of these people, for a lot of people in general in the world, um, and we ignore that that's probably part of the catalyst that's that's causing people to not deal with the mental health stuff stuff that's going on then the cycle is going to repeat and it's going to repeat and it's going to repeat and we're going to be in the same situation but all it takes is one you know that one person that stepped outside of that comfort zone and even though you're sober you're dealing with some shit Maybe somebody will hear this and realize, yeah, I'm dealing with the same shit. I resonate with what he just said. Man, that guy's got courage. I want what he has. And then they reach out. And when they reach out, that's when we have the responsibility to do the right thing by them and tell them the truth and give them the help they deserve, right?
2: I think that's... Like, I want to be clear. I mean, I wasn't... I wouldn't say I was good friends with anybody that was involved directly. There's a couple of guys that were there on Sunday that I'm pretty close with, uh, got a lot of history with. But as for guys that have have passed, I mean, it's mm-hmm. medicine hat, right? There's one degree of separation at best. I I knew all of them, but one guy in particular that I was talking to Sunday, you know, we just. We cut the bullshit, I think, a bit and just went, you know, listen, have have you guys ever thought about hurting yourselves? Like, let's not dance around it. Let's just ask this question, right? One of them said, well, yeah, but not for a while, right? And it was like kind of fleeting and I didn't really entertain it. And this is where I think the addiction piece kicks in. In my completely unprofessional opinion. I was sitting in the mental health and addiction clinic in the provincial building speaking to a professional without being able to make it a day, a week, without drugs and booze and wanting to kill myself. And in that moment, sitting in that office, I wouldn't have identified as having an addiction problem. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't have. The thing about it is, and I don't mean to discount the reality of mental health and depression and anxiety. They're absolutely 100% very real and very tangible. And I'm not saying by any means that addiction is the only issue here. But I know for me, all of those underlying conditions, that voice telling me to, to shut it down, to end it with just the right amount of booze and drugs. That voice became the only thing I could hear. So was I depressed? Probably. Did I have ADHD? Maybe. But. With just the right cocktail. I was 100% an addict. And that's when that voice got loudest. So I think if we can if we can really call that out by what it is and go, let's sort that shit out, it gives you a chance to deal with all the other shit. Without calling that out and dealing with that, it's a losing battle. And I and you know, maybe maybe we're sitting here and and, and we're gonna have no effect on that circle at all. Maybe, maybe that's the reality of it. I don't know. Maybe we're going to have a profound effect on somebody else's life that is completely unrelated and resonates with something here. Maybe, I don't know, but I sure as fuck know I'm walking out of here and I'm sober and I'm not going there in my head today. And there's, and
3: there's also a big, big difference between not drinking And sobriety, you know, because I had periods due to circumstance where I had to quit drinking because I knew I had a problem for a long, long time. And the consequences of what I was doing were fucking so profound, I quit. But for me, that's when life got the fucking darkest. I was 41 days sober when I wanted to step in front of that bus and I was doing the deed. I was working the program, but there was something missing that I wasn't doing brought back those voices, those negative, those, that voice that tells me to hurt myself. That's not me. That that's my disease of addiction and alcoholism. That's telling me you're a piece of shit. You're a piece of garbage, all those dreams and all those things you wanted to be as a kid that are now gone. All the people you've heard, all the, you know, that shame and blame and guilt of what did I put my mom through? You know, what did I put my brothers through? All that stuff comes back. And when I don't use my solution, which is drugs and alcohol, that voice isn't even loud, it's a roar. And that's the time in my life that I wanted to harm myself. As soon as I put that alcohol or those drugs in my body, all that quieted down. And it was like, huh. All right. Now I don't have to feel, right?
2: I've talked about like I think I think I think that for a long time drugs and alcohol saved my life. I think it probably extended my life. I think those voices were kicking around from a much younger age than me using and and they drowned out that voice for a long long time and i'm and i probably didn't take my life as a teenager because of it i can't well i mean fuck who knows right but drowning that out with booze and drugs bought me some time for sure i'm confident of that until it stopped Right. And then like, that's that pivot for a lot of people. Right. And I guess that's what, you know, call it rock bottom, call it what you want. Right. I think that's when the booze and drugs stop working, you're fucked. And now I have no means of controlling that voice. Like I was a year and a half sober the last time driving my truck through the ice on a lake made sense to me. It's a year and a half sober. Eliminating booze and drugs. It only gives you a chance. There's still a whole bunch of work that needs to come after that. You don't have a fucking chance if you're fucked up though. Yeah, I completely
3: agree. And there is a way, you know, that's worked for millions of people. And I think the three of us are sitting here shining examples of what that is. But I can also see through Nathan's story and through, you know, your story and, and, my experience up to getting sober here six years ago is that if I don't continue to do the things that supplemented the obsession to drink or to use drugs, those voices come back, you know, and that's when my anxiety or my depression comes back and I have to become outwardly focused and use my story to help others. And when I do that, that's when, that's when my life got good, right? Um, It's not perfect. I have good and bad days But not once does drinking and drugging come back into the equation right um because i'm a recovered alcoholic and addict today you know um i'm the face of recovery and i'm not proud of that and i'm not ashamed of that i'm just it just is you know um this is the path that the universe has chosen for me and I'm grateful that my kids get to see a little bit different father, you know, they get to see the cycles being broken. You know, I think our dad started it and now we get to fully fucking cut that chain in half and, um, support each other. Maybe a little bit differently today than we did yesterday. Right. Um, yeah, I'm inspired. I'm grateful. I'm happy. Um, because we're here together today, right? Inviting other people along for the ride through our experience, right? Everything that happened to me um, happened for a reason. did I read yesterday, you know, um, maybe everything that happened to me was preparing me for where I'm going, right? I don't live in the past anymore with all that regret and that shame and that blame and the what if, what could I have done? I'm not dreaming about the future with no fucking plan. I'm living in the moment. And not taking life for granted. Because it's that important. We have one kick around this cat, right? And I want to make the most out of it. I want to make a difference. um, So that all that shit I went through wasn't for nothing. See,
0: that. that's what pulls at my heartstrings more than anything these days is what I envision, like like Grandpa, right, his legacy to us. is just like uh, the love that man had for us. You know, the cabin he left for us to use, like there's there's so many things I have of his that are a daily reminder of, of what a good man he was. And that's where today, where I struggle, I look <clears throat> forwardly and think, you know, 10 years, 20 years. Are my kids going to look back on, on me and say, He's a good man. And my grandkids, hopefully one day, can look back and say, man, what what an influence he was on my life. And when I'm in my anxiety and depression, I don't see that. And it's sad. It makes me sad. But I know today... Allow myself to move forward one step closer by sitting here, by being vulnerable. It's an amazing thing to to think that I can I can achieve that today, right? It's it's a whole different mindset. It's been since twenty four hours ago. It really has since we sat outside our house and. Hasn't been easy 24 hours, but I, I, I'm taking the step today and I'm grateful for that.
3: And it's, every journey starts with the first step. Yeah, absolutely. And that first step is the scariest fucking thing because for me, you make up all these stories of the what ifs, you know, this is going to happen or that's going to happen, I'm standing in the shower and I'm angry at somebody from 20 years ago and I'm like, what the fuck is going on but that's not me again, you know That's, that's my ego that's my disease of addiction and alcoholism wanting to pull me back down and keep me down it doesn't want me to thrive but I'm aware of that voice now and I can tell that thing to shut up and if I can't, I talk to other people that understand what it's like to be me
0: it's almost like for me, if I have this vision of who I want to look like or what I want to become, right? And it's, uh, if I don't try to get there, then if I, if I get there and I fail, well, then it's okay. Cause I didn't even try. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's just like, well, what happens if I don't become this man? And I tried everything to build myself up there, right? Oh, it was like a chicken accident. I've thought the exact but same it, things, Nathan. Yeah, right. But it's it's just easier for me not to even try, right? You know what I mean? Because then I don't have to fail. Fucking hands off. Yeah. So if you if, if that makes sense, uh, I don't I don't know.
3: Completely. That's I've I always wanted to be a father and yeah. and, and a husband. And at 36 years old when I'm just empty and hopeless. I was telling you and chatting that, well, if it happens, it happens, right? So those dreams that I had, I'm pushing away so that I don't have to deal with the devastation of not achieving those things because I didn't even try, right? And I guess we're in a place now where it's, I'm going to try and if I fall down, that's okay, because that's how I learn. I didn't learn everything we've talked about today by Not being a complete (laughs) bag of shit for years. I had to experience all of that so that I could be sitting in front of other people that have just lost their friend and say, I get it. You know, I've been there. I've also been the guy that's wanted to take my own life. My experiences matter. My story is for the world now. If I hold that in, that does a disservice to myself. And it does a disservice to people that might be suffering and don't have the courage quite yet to do what you did tonight. And that's what you're doing. You're giving permission to other people to be courageous, to step outside that comfort zone. And it's funny how when we're of service and we're thinking of others by telling our story, all of a sudden, that anxiety and that weight that's on our chest just goes away, right? I don't get well then help people. I get well by helping people. You know, it's completely opposite of what I was taught to believe. You got to love yourself. How the fuck do I love myself? Well, I get out there and I help other people, and then just one day, I don't hate who I am, right? I use my story and all my experiences to build people up. And one day I can look in the mirror and actually say I'm proud of who I am. But if I forget to do those things and I rest on my laurels and I become complacent, what comes back? That little voice that tells you you're a piece of shit and you're a piece of garbage. And very quickly, I'm back at that place where I'm five years sober and looking at the rafters thinking, man, you should hurt
2: yourself. Like, where Where is that coming from? Right? I lost my father to this illness. he was 56 years old. We're not fucking 20 anymore, boys. Like, 56 isn't too (laughs) far away, right? And I think about that, and and we can sit here and talk about, like, what, you know, what can we do to change the world? And I think between the three men sitting at this table, we got enough boys at home that we can start a fucking baseball team, right? Maybe... if that's as far as this ever gets. I never got to have these conversations with my dad. I grew up. I didn't get to the healing part of that relationship till he was gone. Right. I, I didn't get. I didn't get to have these conversations of what. I didn't get to have the conversations that a man should be able to have with his dad. You know, I had some, but like not. That's way too fucking early. And if nothing else, if nothing else. I can be a better dad. And not to say, you know, it took me a long time to get to a point that I wasn't blaming my dad. And, and, you know, I think you guys have kind of. Touched on that right like he he fucked up a lot but with the with the enlightenment that I have now he was doing the best he could with what he had Mm -hmm. he was doing it as wrong as it might have been he was doing it from a place of love and not knowing any better and thinking he was doing the right thing you know the tough love though like all that shit right that's If nothing else, the gift of sobriety has given me the opportunity to be a better father. And hopefully. I struggle with the God concept personally. You know, I was brought up Catholic and the whole eternal life thing is not ever really registered and made any sense to me. I think that's where that lies, though, is that little bit of me that I leave in my kids that they pass on to their kids. And just trying to be better and being honest enough to have an honest conversation about what that looks like. And when I fuck up on it, I'm a million miles away from Any kind of perfection. Or where I want to end up. I'm more wrong than I am right. But I want to teach them to keep trying. Keep showing up. I look back on. When I was thinking of taking my life. and, And how I genuinely and honestly thought. That that was the best gift I could give them. Was to not be around And now I look at that And be like Man the only lesson I would have taught him Was to quit So I gotta keep showing up And trying And doing better
3: Especially when when we don't want to. Maybe that's the legacy that we get to leave. Maybe it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. And maybe it's in them that we started a conversation that our parents couldn't have with us, you know, that they did the best they could with what they had. And look, look where we at, look where we're at. We're sober. We're parents. We're having a podcast to talk about suffering and pain and resiliency So that they can not have us tell them that this is okay. We're showing them. Maybe that's the legacy.
2: Hopefully we at least got a baseball team with Armstrongs and Davises that will listen to this podcast.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is needed. This was this was needed for all of us. I think this is uh very cathartic for me to, to maybe have my brother look up to me again, you know? Cause I still look up to him and I look up to my other brother and I look up to you, Rick. Yeah. Thanks for setting this up yesterday. And thank you, Nathan, for having the courage to be here. Yeah, it's, uh,
0: my armpits are sweating. (laughs) And and, and this is an honest picture. This is, I I am, I am truly, I was manic before I got here all day, struggled. Like I knew it was coming, right? You just, it's been tough, but I showed up, and that's what matters, right? I showed up. Where it goes from here, you know, you're, you're saying you're gonna drop this tomorrow. <laughs> like, Yeah, am I gonna listen to it? Absolutely not. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't want to at all because it's because then it's real. Right? This is just me and you. Now, you know, now everything aside, the mics and the all this shit, you know, it's just us three sitting here talking. But if I listen to it tomorrow, then it's real. Right? And how it's going to make me feel then, I don't know. But I did it. I stepped out. I stepped up and I feel good about it. I, I do. I, I truthfully feel good that I've had this opportunity. That the, that the opportunity, not just that I had, but it was here to take. Right? And anybody who's struggling, there's an opportunity. Reach out and grab that fucking thing. Hold on to it and keep on grabbing opportunities. Don't, uh, don't let go. Keep showing up every day, every minute, whatever, whatever you got to do.
2: Thank you guys. I feel like the third wheel here in a family chat, but well, you can be D4. D4. If <laughs>
0: you no, already got a D4. <laughs> I'm
3: D5. Probably, yeah, there's a lot of like D10.
2: Like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for letting me be a part of this and uh, I wasn't lucky enough to have a brother but I feel like I got a couple Yeah, Yeah, You do So thank you guys And I hope this is uh, Volume 1 of this conversation amongst us And Hopefully next time there's somebody else sitting here too that You never know. So with that, thanks to the boys at Plugged In Media Network. Dave, Rob, Poncho who couldn't be here, everybody at the OCJ team. Thanks a lot, and keep showing up, I guess, is the closing remark of this one.
1: From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pate, Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Crookshank from darkness to life is a plugged in media network exclusive check out this and our other great podcasts at pie thank you for listening